Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you're taking notes, this is covered part 2. Am I throwing you guys for a loop here? You okay? Yes? Okay, awesome. I have to be honest with you today. What we're going to talk about is maybe a little bit more theologically uh, based and just practical. So I'm going to try my best to kind of throw some practical stuff in here. It's our job to teach people the Bible. Yes, in other words, to teach doctrine, to teach what we believe, to teach the foundational truths from the Word, and somehow to try to make those things uh, practical and relatable to our lives. And so today, I'm going to lean a little bit more heavily on that side of just teaching uh, some practical things, and hopefully it'll, it'll answer some things that maybe you have in your heart. And once again, we'll see if we can make it practical. Jim was reading my notes last night. And she let me know that basically about a little bit past midway through, I took a really hard right turn. So I'll kind of give you a heads up, and I'll let you know when we're shooting to the right. And hopefully we won't drop anybody off the bus at that moment. All right? All right, good deal. You guys in Genesis chapter 1? All right, let's pray one time. Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, as we say every week, Lord, we believe it wholeheartedly. And so, Father, we desire to be people of your word. God, we pray today that your word would take root in our hearts, God, and that uh, we thank you that when your, when your word, uh, God, is literally established in our heart, God, that it produces fruit uh, 10, 30, and 100-fold. God, we want to be a 100-fold type of people today. Lord, we want to be people, God, that bear fruit for your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Would you come and, and do what you do best? And that's teach us. Father, thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the presence. Father, thank you for every person here that has a hunger and a passion for your word. Father, we pray that you would move today, God, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, uh, the past few weeks we started with Genesis chapter 1, and I want to do so again today, and that's basically just for the purpose. If anybody wasn't here, they can, you know, grab a hold of where we're at and we don't lose them. So, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I won't go quite extensive as we have the past few weeks. If you're there, say, oh yeah. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Remember, we took two words from that passage or that, those two verses there, and that was uh, created and hovering. And we, and we brought those two definitions together, and they simply mean this, that God fathered, somebody say fathered, that God fathered us into, or fathered this world into existence. Now, as we continue to read Genesis uh, chapter 1, you can scoot on over to verse 26, 27. We, we find out that God didn't stop. In other words, he didn't father the world into existence and say, okay, I'm done. Because we see here in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man or mankind in our image according to our likeness. Notice the words here that are underlined. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's a whole lot of created, isn't it? So, listen, so not just once, but uh, four times in that those two verses there, through the words make and through the words created, uh, God reassures us that he fathered us into existence. And I will say this again. That God's motive for the thing that compelled him in creating you, not just random people, but when he created you, he was compelled by love. So not only did uh, God create us from his father's heart, but he also created us. And this is the word I really want to focus on today. But he created us to be continuously fathered. To be continuously fathered. And once again, uh, part of this fathering, as you, as you saw last week, 
And I'm noticing the guy that I held, uh, held the umbrella last week is not here today. Maybe I should apologize to him. But, but part of this fathering is a promise that God would come and he would cover us. That there's a thing that God, you know, fathered us into existence, but he just didn't leave us. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But he actually made a commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to cover you. And really when we come under that covering of God, we find out the seven things that we talked about last week. But it's from that covering, God is committed to leading us. He's committed to guiding us. He's committed to protecting us. He's committed to provide for us, to teach us, to bless us, and in supporting us. And I think that last one, that, that we don't need to make light of that. But we need to remember, look, God is for us. Remember what the Bible says, if God be for me, who can be against me? Amen. Are you glad God's for you? Yes. So now listen, the piece uh, that I want to focus on today is simply this, and you'll see it up on the screen, but that God has always, somebody say always, that God has always been committed to providing a continual covering for his children. Now let's start with this in mind, okay? I'm going to start basically, I know I'm talking fast because I have a lot of ground to cover, so y'all hang with me, okay? And I was told the other day that I say certain things a certain way, so y'all just do the best you can with this country boy redneck accent, all right? Awesome. So, listen, I want to start maybe and show you something in the natural to swing it to the supernatural, just to kind of show you how God works. So let, let's kind of start with something that I think we would all agree with, and it's this. I think we would all agree that there's more to being a father than just being there for the conception of a child and then splitting. Wave your hand at me if you know that's true. Wave your hand at me. Come on, waking somebody up. Listen, that there's more, meaning this, that there's more to fathering a child than having this one-time experience where the child is brought into existence. Notice I'm saying that the child isn't brought into existence once he's physically born. At conception, it's a child, it's a living being, right? Amen. We need to believe that. So listen, when that child is brought into existence and after that they are born, listen, that there's more to it than just saying, okay, we had this, I'll just say it, the sexual encounter, the child was conceived, the woman carries it for ten months, they say it's nine, but it's really ten. I know that because I I got four. And so anyways, the baby's born and then everybody says, you know what? Uh, we're leaving the child. We're going to abandon it to survive on its own. Now, listen, I think we all agree here that if a father and a mother are removed from the picture of a child, that is a sure death sentence. Yes, that that, that that baby is left helpless and he can't defend for himself. You know, you know, not to be uh, morbid and depressed, but we've all heard stories about kids being found in dumpsters, kids being found in all that. That's, uh, that's children that have been abandoned, and we know that they didn't find them in a good spot, right? Amen. So, listen, so there is a difference between that, and let, let me say it this way, that there's more to fathering than that example. And at the same time, I think we would all agree that a good father isn't only there for the conception, but a good father also joyfully, somebody say joyfully, this is huge, takes responsibility before and after the child is born to ensure that he or she is provided with a healthy environment. Do we agree with that today? In other words, that once again, uh, you, you know, listen, that when Jen and I had our four children, that I personally, as a dad, made a commitment, not, you know, not once they were born, but before they were born, let's get the room ready, let's get all the things they need, let's get stocked up, ready to go before the child gets here. We didn't wait till the child was born to go, okay, what are we going to do? You, you know, listen, if you ever had a child, you know they know how to suck you dry. Amen. They know how to get money out of you. And, 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 man, we spent a lot of money, and we went the cheapest routes that we could go, and we spent whatever, got everything ready. So when that first child and that second child came, then we made a mistake. After the second child, we sold everything. She just said, your fault. <laughs> We sold everything, and so then, you know, anyways, we had to uh, re-up, and we had to buy it all again, anyways. So listen, store it all. 
Find an attic, find a pod, whatever, store it all just in case God's not done. All right. So anyways, he did provide. Anyway, so watch this. So listen, but part of that is and I didn't watch this. I didn't do that grudgingly. I did that from a joyful heart of going, man, we're having a child together. And I took responsibility and said, you know, what? we're, we're going to do our best to provide an atmosphere, an environment for this child uh, to grow and not to grow, but to grow physically, to grow mentally, to grow emotionally and to grow spiritually. Are you with me today? Yes. So now let me ask you this. Okay. And those two brief examples there. Is God a good father? Is he a bad father? Okay. Is he faithful or does he abandon us? He's faithful. Amen. So listen, example of this uh, would be this. You're there in in Genesis. Kind of go ahead and flip to to chapter two. But but we see an example of God being a good dad and the kind that we're talking about here. Because this is once God created or once he fathered Adam and Eve into existence, he didn't abandon them to find their own way. In other words, he didn't leave them kind of for, you know, kind of hoping that they would survive. He didn't cross his fingers, kind of, man, I hope they'll make it. He didn't do that. Once again, he took personal responsibility of Adam and Eve, and he provided an atmosphere or a healthy environment uh, for them to do what? To grow, to be fathered, to be covered. And this healthy environment was simply called this. It was called the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden simply means this. It was a garden of delight and it was a garden of pleasure. In other words, it was a great place. Yes. So listen, this garden, this is the thing I maybe want you to grab hold in, in this section right here. This garden was intentionally designed for their continual fathering. How many of you guys know that God never, God never created the garden uh, with, a, with necessarily a plan for that to stop? Right? In other words, he created said, look, as... As, uh, as long as you desire to stay under my covering, we'll talk about that more in a minute. You can remain here. So look at this, and this will kind of show us um, the Garden of Eden here. So look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says this, As in the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, or that's the spirit of life. And it says, And man became a living being. And verse 8 here, this is our key verse, says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward. That's an environment. And eastward in Eden, and it says, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So watch this. Here's kind of the simple point. Because God loved them, he provided them with a perfect environment where they could be continually fathered. And once again, we said part of that promise of being fathered is to be covered. So a place that they could continually be covered. Now, not to maybe sound trite here, but I know we all know this, but let me just say it anyways, okay? In that garden, there was never a moment of physical, emotional, or verbal abuse. Never happened, right? Listen, Adam and Eve never struggled with feelings of insecurity and inadequacies. They had no reason to. They were literally bathed in the love of God daily. So, listen, they didn't have identity issues in the garden. Uh, They never wrestled with emotions of fear, of worry, of anxiety. They never worried uh, or struggled with uh, feelings of depression in the garden. They never felt like God was distant or disconnected from them. Do we believe that? Yes. So, so listen, here's maybe something to grab a hold of here. The reason they didn't wrestle and struggle with any of that is because they were literally covered. Somebody say covered. They were literally covered by the glory of God. That God covered them with his glory. So in this, in this uh, you know, covering, they felt safe. They felt secure. They felt provided for. And, and this may sound weird, but they were free. Right? Because it's sin that makes us in bondage. These guys were, they, they experienced life at the freest that's ever been lived. And it was in this environment, uh, the reason they could do that is because they enjoyed God's company daily. Right? The Bible says that literally God came and he walked with them in the cool of the day. 
I think it's such an awesome verse. And actually, just kind of an extra tidbit, where it says that they heard him in the sound of the wind. That literally means as the wind blew through the garden, they could hear God's voice riding in the wind. And they could hear God speaking to them and walking with them daily. It was a very intimate time. So um, we all know, because we all read the Bible at some point, or we've been around and we've heard it, but we know that that perfect environment didn't last forever, correct? It didn't last long. And even though this environment, I think there's a lot of young Christians that struggle with this, but you got to understand that even though this environment was designed by God to protect them, God couldn't protect them from the free will that he gave them. Okay? And so let me maybe add this here. Because we all go, well, why did Adam and Eve fall? They were in the greatest environment. They were in all these things. Once again, God didn't produce robots. He produced people. He wanted us to love him from the genuineness of our own heart. And let me maybe put it for you like this. For us to have kids or maybe a best friend, whatever, maybe even a spouse. You, you know, how would you feel if somebody, you know, one morning, I don't know, 20 years in marriage, your wife rolls over to you and goes, you know what? They pay me a lot of money to love you. Some of you wives are thinking, I sure do need a raise. Um, but, you know, if you were on the receiving end of that, who wants to be loved out of obligation? Anybody? I mean, I mean, what, what, a, what a pardon the word, but what a crappy way to live, right? That meant that somebody would love you because they have to. Uh, God's the same way. He didn't, he didn't create us. He didn't create Adam and Eve and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to somehow force you to love me. He gave them a free will. He gave them a choice. And uh, just once again, just as he couldn't force them to remain under his covering, he couldn't do that any more than he can force you to pray every day. Am I right? Every day uh, we all exercise a gift that's been given to us. It's the gift of free will. Is that true? So, listen, most of us know the story, and you can, I'll kind of skim it here, but we're going to Genesis chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 3 tells us after some time that the devil, we know that that is uh, Lucifer. The Bible talks about three archangels, and Lucifer is one of them. That, so he was a fallen angel, and this is also who Jesus referred to as the father of lies. Okay, So here, the father of lies, he comes into the garden, and he begins to plant thoughts into Eve's mind. It causes her to begin to question or begin to second-guess their covering. Is that true? Listen, these thoughts he begins to plant in their mind, he really gets them to begin to question what's the father's motives, what's the father's intentions. And he starts whispering in their ears, and it's lies, but it's also truth that's twisted, right? And he perverts it, and he literally causes Adam and Eve to begin to doubt the importance or the significance or the value or the need of their covering. I want you to know he still does that today to us. He still tries to come along and tries to convince us that maybe we don't need, you know, whatever. Some preacher gets up, maybe, you know, we read some verse in the Bible, whatever, that calls for more obedience from our lives, more submission from our lives to come and live under the covering. And the enemy comes in those moments and he whispers in our ear and tries to tell us that we don't need it, right? Or, or maybe you don't need to commit that much. Are you all with me today? Has that ever happened to you? Because it certainly happened to me. In other words, there's been times where the enemy has came and said, you know, that's legalistic. It wasn't legalistic. It was holy. Right? And he would try to get me to somehow compromise in my own walk to somehow show me that, that I could live maybe a little bit independent, that, that I didn't, you know, that would change my thought process of how significant that covering was for my life. And I want you to know today that when we limit the role or when we limit the importance of the Father in our lives, that covering, we actually limit this covering of our lives. Does that make sense to you guys today? That when we limit the role or the importance or the value or the need or the significance of the Father in our lives, we limit His covering of our lives. And, you know, listen, I'm convinced. I'm not trying to mess with anybody. But let's say if there was a covering, whatever, that's, that's that light there. There's so many Christians that kind of want to do this. 
They want to throw a finger in there. They want to kind of play with it because most of us in our human nature, we want the benefits of the covering, but we don't want to do the commitment that it takes to live under the covering. Yes, it's true, but it doesn't work that way, right? If we're going to be under the covering, then we need to... Right? We need to be under the covering. All right, so... um, Listen, we all know, once again, the story here is ultimately the devil convinced Adam and Eve that they would be better off living independent. Somebody say independent. Independence of God's covering. One of the greatest things for us is we can live as one who is dependent upon the Father. Our independence as people gets us in trouble a lot in the kingdom. We need to be dependent upon Him. Amen? So, so listen, so because they try to live independent of the covering, they made this choice to disobey and to live outside the protective boundaries that God established. And what they do, they, they ate the forbidden fruit. We all know the story. But the Bible goes on and tells us this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, this is what happens after they took hold of the fruit. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew. Somebody say they knew. Literally, they knew that they were naked. That means that they literally knew that they were helpless in that moment. They knew that they were uncovered. Now listen, in an instant, they stepped out from under that covering that we're talking about, and they were no longer covered, they were no longer protected physically, they were no longer protected emotionally, and they were no longer protected spiritually. In fact, everything that we know in this world that's not good, right? We, we all know the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So anything that lines up under that umbrella there, that's not the life that Jesus came to bring. At that moment, it flooded not only into Adam and Eve's life, but it flooded into all the world. Do you know that's true today? That's true. It's very simple. So, listen, when these guys gave into temptation, they lost their God consciousness and they gained a self-consciousness. Do you get that? They lost their God consciousness and they gained their self-consciousness. And this knowing or this self-consciousness went way beyond them realizing that they didn't have any clothes on because they immediately knew, watch this, that everything that they were once protected from, they were now left exposed and vulnerable to. Is that true? Listen, they were now uncovered, they were helpless, they were lost, they were empty, they were insecure, they were fearful. Remember, they, they, no one ever experienced that emotion before of fear, but these guys were fearful. They were fearful children. And it's so funny, they were trying to hide. They literally went from being covered to now trying to hide from the very, uh, you know, the very presence, the very Father that they walked with daily. Listen to what they did. It says this in verse 7. The last part, it says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made. Somebody say made. When you get weak on me, say made. It says that they made. That word made there is the same word that we talked about in Genesis 1. It means that they uh, basically to bring into existence or to birth. That here they are that they are trying to sew fig leaves together, try to make for themselves what? Coverings. Now listen, because these guys... Uh, were so used to being covered by God's glory, uh, they were now trying to substitute what was supernatural, God's glory, for that which was natural, fig leaves. Now, they were trying to create for themselves uh, from their own works a false covering or a false fatherhood. Now, let me say this to you really fast, okay? We kind of look at that and go, shame on them. But I want you to know today that it's easy for us today that love the Lord, that want to do our best to please Him. We can still try to create for ourselves a false covering by our own religious works. Yes? Listen, I'm amazed by how many Christians, and we've all wrestled with this. I definitely spent years wrestling with this. But how we can spend so many years saying, okay, I'm going to work for the Lord and act like that that's somehow a covering. And that's not a covering, right? 
That's just trying to gain self-righteousness on our own, trying to be righteous before the Lord. Once again, it's a submitting, it's a humbling ourselves for the Lord and going, God, I just need you. Instead of trying to, let me maybe say it this way, it'll be a little bit better. We try to work to get a covering instead of understanding that we already have a covering. So we, we try to work for, basically to gain a covering instead of living from one who already has one. Does that make more sense? All right, so... So here's kind of the funny part, I think, to me, is that I think we'd all agree that it's impossible to replace God's glory over our lives. And if we are honest today, I think we would all admit that when we're kind of left to ourselves and we kind of do it our own way, we sure do make a mess out of things. Right? And listen, once again, there is... (laughs) Yeah, you too. We all do, right? So, um, listen, we were all left and we go, you know what? Okay, God, I got this. I'm going to run the show on this one. That's the same thing, and we all make a mess out of it. We, we fall flat on our face. Now, watch this. For time's sake, because I'm, I'm running this all over the place today, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to take us through a few thousand years today. Maybe a bad move. I don't know. <laughs> I am. I don't know why I'm doing it, but we are. So, anyways, come back next week. We have a guest speaker. Anyway, so, all right. So, <laughs> so listen, for time's sake, as I briefly mentioned last week, God could have easily did this. He could have said, well, you guys absolutely blew it. I'm done with you. True? But he didn't. And, I, and if you can grab a hold of this thought, he didn't quit loving them. He didn't quit loving them. In other words, they made a mistake, they blew, and it was a big one. Okay, Graham, it was huge. Okay, we all feel the effects of it daily. It was, it was the biggest mistake ever made. You, you, you think your mistakes are big? That one was big, all right? And even in that mistake, the biggest one ever made, God says, you know what, I'm not going to stop loving you. So why do we believe it when we make mistakes ourselves? Amen. So watch this. Because we know he's a good father, he chose, he chose, he chose not to leave them in that uncovered position. I think that's so amazing to me. Literally, the grace of God blows my mind and the mercy of God because these guys didn't deserve it, just like we don't deserve it. But God said, you know what, I'm not going to leave you in that uncovered position. We know this because Genesis 3.21 it says that by the means of basically of a sacrifice, that God made Adam and Eve a covering out of an animal skin. He clothed them. Now, let me ask you this. We're going to hit the blinker, turn, and we're going to fast forward a few thousand years. Well, actually, I don't know the timeline, but we're going to go. I'm not real good at all that, but, but we're going to fast forward a little bit. It, it's, it's to the right in the book. How about that? Okay. All right. So let me ask you a question here. What about everybody that was born after that? In other words, he, he killed an animal, said, Adam and Eve, I got you. But, but now what about the kids that they had and the kids that they had and the kids that they had and the kids that they had? Uh, you know, here's the thing. You know, let me maybe say it this way. Uh, did God give up on them? Uh, remember, Romans 5 tells us this. It tells us that because of Adam's disobedience, right? So let me maybe clarify something here. So Adam, as being the first man, he was our representative, you understand what that means? In other words, like, uh, you know, there's an ambassador from the United States, goes to Germany, goes to wherever there's embassies, and, and, and they go there and they basically become the representative of our nation. Is that, is that correct? Okay. So, so with Adam, because he is the father of mankind, to understand that even though we weren't born yet, we were still in Adam. Okay. We were, we were still there. If it, you know, without saying a weird way, we were still in the seed of Adam. Okay. And so when Adam made the mistake, uh, you know, when he sinned, when he disobeyed against God, at that point, even though we weren't born yet, every person, uh, that was ever born was born with a sin nature. 
Okay, and, you know, once again, I, I know I talk about kids a lot, but that's so where we're at in our world. You know, Jen and I never looked at one of our four kids and said, please tell us no 20 times a day. You know, you never grab your two-year-old and say, the first words you need to learn. You're like, say dad, say mom, no. Right? It's like, it's just in there, right? It's that, it's that sin nature that reveals itself in the ugliest of ways. I don't want to put my shirt on. I don't want to eat. I don't want to pick up. It's, it's this eternal no, right? And, and you're just like, Jesus, um, it's almost like this. You know, it's like, God, yeah, it's like God saying, you know what? This is payback. You, you know, whatever. Uh, anyways, so, so anyways, even though these guys, so watch this, so once Adam sinned, what's it, we're born into sin nature, but not only we're born to a sin nature, we're also born uncovered because of that sin natured. Okay? And so when you and I are born, until we come to know the Lord, we live, we live outside of that covering, and that's why we experience so much turmoil in our lives as unbelievers. I don't know about your journey, but mine was bad, all right? So those things that I mentioned a while ago, they could have defined, you could have wrote that, oh, I could have carried a sign and said, hey, that's me, fear, depression, anxiety, whatever, that's me. You know, anger, you know, whatever, I got the issue, right? And so, but that's an uncovered life. So for a lack of better terms, watch this. After their fall in the garden, God's uh, willingness to be a good father, okay? Once again, they mess up. God's not giving up on them, but I'll say it this way. Because God's a good father, it's almost like that title that of who we say he is at that point, that was kind of on trial. Okay? Adam and Eve blew it. Okay, he covered them. But what about everybody else? Are you going to be who you said you are? Yeah? Anybody ever had that, that moment in their own selves? God, are you going to be who you said you are to me? I know you are to them, but will you be it to me? And so there's that sense of going, okay, God, what are you going to do to cover your people that you created the Father, once again, continuously. And uh, here's where I want to fast forward a, a little bit here. And i got to really cover some ground fast. I want to fast forward to basically Moses, okay? Uh, Moses was the leader of God's people. And when you fast forward to Exodus, you, you have this encounter. You see Moses uh, standing on, on the mountain. He's having this unbelievable encounter with God. And in this encounter, God speaks to him and says, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. Can somebody say Tabernacle. Now listen, the purpose of this tabernacle is found in Exodus 29:45. It'll be on the screen. It says, "I will dwell among the children." Somebody say, "Dwell." Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, "Dwell." It says, "I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God." I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. This was God's way of saying, "Listen, I refuse to abandon my children." In other words, he was still longing, watch this, to cover his kids with his glory. Now, this tabernacle, uh, once again, we could go into this a whole lot, but this tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build would basically become a predetermined place. Don't miss that. A predetermined place for heaven to invade earth. It became a predetermined place where God can meet with man. Right. And because it was that, it became basically the central place of worship for this entire nation. And so, uh, once again, without going into any great detail, and you can see a picture. It's got to be one of the worst pictures in the world. All right, so, uh, I did. I picked it out. It was me. So, yeah, thank you, Jen, to clarify that. I picked it out. I mean, it was really hard to find one that showed halfway what you wanted. But anyways, you'll notice that the tabernacle had several compartments, and it had the outer court, had the inner courts, and the Holy of Holies. And then it had this uh, special furniture that was in it. And I'll just say it this way to save us a whole bunch of time. Every piece pointed to Jesus, all right? Every piece, all right? But there was a certain piece that I want to talk about today because the whole special significance of what we're talking about, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. 
the Ark of the Covenant. The word Ark simply means this. It means box or chest, but it was the covenant that God made with His people. What's the covenant? The covenant was like, guys, I'm, I am choosing to cover you. I'm choosing to father you. I'm choosing to cover you, okay? So this Ark of the Covenant, and you can see it, yep, right there. It's uh, Once again, there's all kinds of different looks that are out there, but... Basically, that Ark of the Covenant was found beyond the veil in the Holy of Holies. Now, watch this verse here, because it tells us basically what it kind of looked like and kind of described it. And there's a verse I want you to see. This is Exodus 25, 20 through 22. It says, And the cherubim, that was the angels that were there. The word cherubim actually means this. It means covering angels. So, And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering, somebody say covering, Covering the mercy seat with uh, with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Now, just kind of give you a thought here. If these guys had to make the cherubim, that means that they had seen the cherub, cherubim. They had to know what they looked like, okay? God just didn't say build it, and then they made up something. They, they had to have an encounter with it at some point. And then it says this, that the face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark or the box of the chest. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Verse 22 is key here. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. I will speak with you for where? At the place of covering, I will speak with you. In fact, if you go look at a lot of pictures, and hopefully I'm not boring you today, but if you look at a lot of pictures with the Ark of the Covenant, you'll see basically uh, almost like the glory of God coming from heaven, basically landing in between the, the two wings area, because that was where God was meeting with man. Now watch this. Psalms 99 verse 1 puts it this way. It says this, that God dwells. That he lives, that he abides. God dwells between the cherubim, between the covering angels. So this literally meant that God's Shekinah glory, in other words, his dwelling glory, his settling glory, or what we would call his physical manifested presence. Are you with me today? That it literally rested on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? Which means this. Okay? Let's kind of close this chapter here. But which means this. That when the high priest, right? We had one high priest. That he would enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Once again as a representative of God's people. Watch this. That he would go in on the mercy seat. By the way, who's the mercy seat? The mercy seat represents Jesus. Okay? In fact, when you look in the New Testament where it says uh, that he became our pro. Uh, Propitiation, thank you. When you came, our propitiation actually means mercy seat. So Jesus is the mercy seat. So literally when the high priest would go in there as a representative of all the people, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And tradition says that the way he sprinkled it was actually in the form of a cross. Just a thought for you. Listen, that as he would sprinkle that and he would come to basically make atonement for the people, that he would do so under the covering of God. Now watch this. Adam's sin removed God's glory. When the high priest came in and sprinkled there for atonement, it restored the glory. Do you get that? In other words, as long as the priest was right before God and faithful and the nation was faithful, when they would go in there and they would make atonement for it, uh, which once again is what Jesus brought for our lives, it restored the glory back on their life and over not just the priest but over the nation itself. Are you following me today? Because watch this, because that priest would go in. Jesus is the high priest, so he would go in and that authority and gain back for us what Adam lost. I hope you're following me today. Hopefully I explained this well enough. So listen, once again, the whole point there is God was still providing a way for his children to be covered. He was still providing a way for them to be fathered. He was still providing a way for them to be covered, what, with his glory. 
So I want you to notice something, and as you read the Old Testament, you can see. But as, as long as these guys stayed right before God, as they stayed in that position of covering, uh, the nation of Israel really enjoyed God's blessing on their lives. They enjoyed God's uh, power on their lives. They literally enjoyed God's presence in their life. Now, the sad part about it is this, is sometimes their enemy knew it more than they did. Are you all with me today? Meaning, meaning, watch this, that the, that the literally enemy, their enemy at the main time we were reading this passage, this portion of Scripture was the Philistines. And it was also before that, go all the way back to when Joshua, when they were leading the nation, and they were going to the promised land. Their enemy knew that's where their power comes from, because it was from the covering. They knew it was from God. And so, you know, let me maybe say this to kind of get with you guys. And I think sometimes we as believers, the enemy knows the power we have more than we know we have it. Okay, in other words, that just the way that the enemies in that day knew that, man, something's different about those guys because of that Ark of the Covenant right there. The enemy knows the glory of God that resides within us. Amen. You, you know, listen, most of us know this, but God doesn't live in a tent. He doesn't live in a tabernacle. He lives in us now. The glory's in us. And so when we walk in, listen, you, you understand that when we walk in the fullness of what God's called us to walk in, the enemy should tremble in this region. Okay, but part of that is we've got to realize, once again, who's with this. Jesus' blood covers this, so we have an authority in this region. Amen? So let, let, me, let me maybe back off. Let me get more personal. You have authority in your own home. Okay, sometimes it's impossible to walk in in a region if we don't walk in it in our own home. And I'm not talking about domineering, but I'm talking about, listen, some of you guys have got kids that don't walk with the Lord. You set the atmosphere there, not them. Amen? You do, because you, listen, the glory of God is greater in you than the lack of it that's in them. Okay? So you walk in there and you set the atmosphere. We, we, don't, we don't let other people come into our home and set it for us. Right? There's something about that Jen and I in every house we've ever lived in, if we owned it or not, God, this is your house. God, we ask that your presence and your power and your glory would come and you would fill this house in Jesus' name. God, we just put the, uh, the, the blood of Jesus over this house. Father, we ask that you would camp angels around this place. God, thank you for your peace. Right? And part of that, even last night, guess what? Turn on YouTube. Here's praise and worship. It played all through the night. I don't know when it turned it off. I don't know if she turned it off or the thing broke, but it finally stopped at some point. Right? But literally, worship was filling the house. Why? Because we want to be people who are covered with the glory. Amen? All right, so let's get back on track. Y'all having a good time today? Awesome. All right, here we go. So watch this. So let's kind of fast forward again. During one of the times where these guys, where these guys, meaning the nation of Israel, their hearts were distant from God, what happened? They, they had their guard down. They really weren't uh, operating under the covering. The enemy came in and they captured the Ark of the Covenant and took it from them. Right. And here's what's so funny about that. Just a tidbit. The place that they stored it, tumors started breaking out. Judgment came. Judgment came because it wasn't their part. And they finally said this. Put that thing on a cart. Slap that cow on the butt. And where that thing goes, it goes. And we know it ended in a spot. And David found out where it was at. And after uh, several things, once again, we're fast forwarding again to David. And this is the part that I really wanted to talk about today. Okay, so we kind of all said all that to get here. All right. Here we go. I didn't want to start. I, I feel like this was the part that I need to share with you today, but I felt like if I just hopped right here, you'd be totally lost. So that's why we said all that other stuff. But watch this. So here's David, the shepherd boy, is now king of Israel. He finds out where the Ark of the Covenant is. And, man, if there's anybody that's ever uh, realized the importance of God's power and presence, it's that guy. Right? And so 
uh, here he is after several events. He brings the ark back to Jerusalem. But instead of putting it back in the tent of Moses in the tabernacle, he actually had it placed in an open-sided tent in the palace's backyard. He put it in his backyard. Now, here's what I love about David. David was a king and not a priest. But David still acted like he was, uh, had access where the priest had access. And the reason is, is because, once again, we all know it, we've all heard it, because he was basically a type or a shadow of what was to come of a new covenant believer, of one that's basically after Jesus died and resurrected. He's, he's basically a Christian that was locked in a different time. Are you all are y'all following me? And so David realized uh, that what he had access to. And, and maybe even so you can understand how important this was to him. We all, we all know that he went to go get it from Zigzag, whatever the guy's name's house was. I can't remember, sorry. And they did it wrong, right? And, and uh, Uzziah reached out and touched it and died. And then they went back for three months, and, and he was grieved. And, and then he said, okay, uh, man, i got to go get this thing from Obed-Edom's house. And they, they literally saw that this ark was at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and God's blessing was just going crazy at obed at Edom's house, right? And David said, you know what, I, I got to have that. And, and literally what they did is they went and figured out, you don't touch it, you don't put it in the cart, you put poles in it, Levites got to lift it. There's a way, God, li- listen, listen, God doesn't just trust his presence with anybody. <laughs> there, in other words, there, can you show the picture back up there again of the ark? I'm so chasing a rabbit here. Here we go. The next one, yep. One with the wings. There we go. See the poles right there? So, so literally it's got the holes there. And, and the reason I was there is so nobody would touch it. And in other words, that there, was, that there is there's an honor and, and a respect that you give the presence of God. And, and too often I think we take it lightly. That's why, you know, all these people want to get in that real goofy in the presence of God and stuff. I'm going, hey, he's still holy. I mean, we can have fun, but he's still holy. Yes? And so, so what they did is David said, okay, let's do it right. And they went and they got poles and put it there. He got the Levites, the right people to carry it, uh, to kind of clarify before he just stood in the back of the cart and had some cows carrying it. And then the, the cow, so, because uh, I, I left details out there, it hit like a spot and the th- it almost fell out the cart. And a man reached out and touched it. And God said, no man touches this. And the guy died immediately. Okay? So before that, some other people tried to mess with it and 50,000 people died. He's serious about this, okay? So anyway, so David got the pole, and what they did, watch this, to show you how important it was to David. They lifted it. They went one, two, three, four, five, six. Stop, bring the animal, kill it, offering. One, two, three, four, five, six. Bring the animal, kill it, offering. They did that every six steps all the way back to Jerusalem. Are you following me? A lot of... A lot of animals died that day, right? But but listen, there, there was once again, it was blood on the mercy seat. It was still the same thing. God, literally, uh, David said this: "I did it my way, and I blew it. Now, God, I'm going to do it your way." We need to get that right. And so, all right. So he finally gets it back, and once again, he doesn't put it in the tabernacle, uh, but he actually puts it in an open-sided tent, the place, the backyard. Once again, I said he is a a modern day, what we say, a Christian locked in another time. We are kings and priests, right? So we have access to this. So when we, when we read this in a second, I do want you to hear what David did because it just, I'm telling you this just because it's cool. Plain and simple. It's just neat. It's cool. But, but I want you to see every day we have the choice to do this. All right? So watch this, okay? Who don't pick on today? My two boys. Come here real quick. They're like, dang it. Why, do I, why have I known this man so long? He always picks on me. Don't make eye contact. 
I'll tell you what, uh, I'll tell you what, y'all go sit down. Y'all say, you, you stay, Kyle and Ryan come. We'll make y'all work today. Go, go to the back, please. Yeah, go the, go the, uh, yeah, go to the back. Is it, did I get it wrong? Is it Ryan? He's like, dog, I shouldn't have came here today. All right. So watch this. So, uh, stand right here. And I just want you guys to be, uh, the cherubim. One of you on one side. Excuse my gum. And one of you on the other side. And I just want you to put your arms out like this. Yeah, hop on the stage though. Yep, sorry. Yep. Awesome. Man, y'all are beautiful. All right, here we go. So, alright, so, so he puts the Ark of the Covenant in his backyard. I love that. This guy's crazy, right? And then it, basically it says this. This is what oral tradition says, okay? Notice the words, oral tradition. You ready, Noah? So basically, they say each morning as the sun would rise, that the choirs would come out of, literally come out of the palace, and they begin to sing songs of praise to God. Now, as they would sing, King David, that's my boy in the back, Noah, King David, he would exit the door, the back door of his palace, and he would begin to descend the steps. Now, watch this. As the sun rose over the horizon, right? As the sun rose over the horizon, the light of the sun would come over the landscape of Jerusalem, and as it did, the light would strike the ark. Watch this. This is really good. It was right the art. And tradition says that the raised wings of the cherubim, once again, the covering angels on the mercy seat, will begin to cast a long, distinct shadow all the way back there to where my man's at. Right? Let me get to where I was at. Cast a long, distinct shadow that reached clear to the bottom of the palace's steps where David was descending. So you get that. So David was descending as the sun was coming. As the sun hit the shadow, or hit the cherubim, uh, the wings, wings hit and he was stepping to the shadow. Now watch this. As David stepped into the shadow, he would fall on his knees and begin to lift up his prayer and praise to God. I won't make you do that. It says, now as the sun would rise, the shadow would shorten. Keep, walk towards me, Noah. And as it would shorten, David would begin to crawl closer and closer toward the ark, continually lifting up his prayer and praise. You get this. Let me maybe help you here. So as the sun would come and it would cast this long shadow, David would come from the, from the back porch and he would descend the steps and he would hit the shadow. And as soon as the shadow would come, he would fall down on his knees and he would begin to crawl and he would take moments where he would just lift his prayer and his praise up to God. And as the sun rose, because we all understand that the sun rises, right? In the east, and, and as it rises, the shadow would begin to be shorter, and he would continue to stay in the, in the shadow, and he continued to crawl closer and closer and closer. Watch this. So come literally to the point where the sun would get up so high. Hours later, David would find himself literally right under the mercy seat, under the shadow of the Ark of the Covenant. Am I making any sense to you today? Okay. So... Um, Literally where he was directly under there, and he was having this, once again, the place where God said, what? I will dwell with my people. I will meet with you there. David did this. This was his daily routine. Every day he would do this. He would come before the Lord. Now, watch this. Um, It is said that out of this daily routine that David wrote Psalms 91. Watch this. You're good. You don't have to worry about it. Watch this. It says, he who dwells in the secret place under the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Protective covering, right? My God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Are you all following me here? 
Settle down, boy. It says, and under his wings you shall take refuge. That's what he was doing daily. Am I making sense to you guys today? And then it says, his truth shall be the, uh, your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. It says, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. It says, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. It says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. He's making God his dwelling place. And then it says, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. It says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. We're almost done. Hang in there. And then it says, and you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. Do you get that? This is not saying he put his love on him. He's saying that David put his love on God. It says, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. And will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, let me share one other verse with you here. Maybe getting ahead of myself. Are you guys okay? Great. Ryan, you okay? Take, take my time? Thanks, man. You guys are so amazing. Watch this verse here. It says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. So, you okay? You turn red there a little bit. All right. That's normal? Okay. Good deal. Me too. So, watch this. So, I want you to see something there, okay? And let's kind of settle in here for a second. It's from that spot that David received that revelation of all of that. Do you understand that it was here that God began to reveal and restore so many things in David's heart? Now, to kind of give you an example here, okay, of where I want to go here in a minute. Because we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about God being Father. That's probably one of my greatest joys is to share with people that God's your daddy, okay, as far as a minister. And, and the reason is because that revelation changed my life so much. But, but it's this, understand that theologians believe that David was born out, of, uh, born out of an affair, that he was an illegitimate son, illegitimate son, okay? That, that David was a person uh, because, of, because basically he was born through a handmaiden, that this was a guy that lacked inheritance. And, and, even, and even when you look, so once again, it's not all scholars, but some scholars say this. You guys can put it down. You're okay. You can put it down. Just stay there. Just stay there. Just stay there. In case I need you. Get the shoulder workout. So, Lindley, you seen this? That boy needs a transmission. He needs to grab one, all right? So, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, watch this. So, a lot of people think that, once again, David's illegitimate. And there's a word there that it uses when you read Samuel. It calls him the younger son. And they believe that that word younger actually means that he was an accident. Okay? So, here's a guy. Watch this. Is there, if there's ever been a guy that's grown up with daddy issues, it was David. Okay, And so to even this, to kind of prove even this point, notice when Samuel comes in and says, God says one of your boys is going to be anointed king, what happens? Jesse calls his boys. 
but he left the one, the other one out in the field. Why? No inheritance. But, but here's the thing. Here's what blows my mind from this, okay? Is that when David discovered from this position of the sun rising and him crawling in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, continuing to lift those prayer and praise, from that spot he got a revelation that God desired to be his father. That literally that God, and once again, I want you to maybe read Psalms in a different way than you've ever read it. And notice verses like this, that God is the father to the fatherless. How did he know that? The covering, the fathering. Watch this. To understand that Psalms 139, that David wrote, For you formed my inward parts. Watch this. You covered me in my mother's womb. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, O God, and that my soul knows very well. We run over that as, as very trite. Okay, okay, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. For a boy that knew he was an accident, knew his father wasn't for him, that was big. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Meaning, God, I'm not an accident. You cover me in the womb. You knew me before anybody else. Are you hearing me today? So to understand that literally it's from that same passage here in 139. It says, how precious are your thoughts to me. One, because his dad probably didn't have many. What it says, it says, your love and your faithfulness endures forever. To, to even get this, even so you know his position. Notice when he showed up to where basically the Israelites were fighting the Philistines. And look how his older brother treated him. Was there any honor in that? There was zero. What are you doing here? You know, who's watching those few sheep? The total attitude was bad because why? Because nobody really looked at this guy with a whole lot of honor, but God sure did. Amen? Now listen, once again, this might not seem like much until we realize that once again, that potentially not only was David confronting his hurts and disappointments, but he was also being healed emotionally as God revealed himself as his heavenly father. Are you tracking today? All right, so watch this. You guys are awesome. But what does this mean for us? Okay? All right. I'm going to get done. Here we go. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I forgot we still got announcements too. All right. So what does this mean for us? Okay, how can I take all of that that said, okay, here's Adam and Eve fell. God said, okay, I'm going to provide a covering with an animal skin. And then he said, okay, uh, now I'm going to get a tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. And then we see this guy's interaction with it. What does that mean for us? It, it basically t- should remind us that God is committed to fathering us. If he's been committed since day one of finding a way to father his people, he is still committed to fathering us today. And here's what I believe today. If we can take the attitude of this guy of David, despite our disappointments and all that stuff in life that we all deal with, if we can make it our routine, routine, okay, but from a heart of love, not, oh, God, I have to, an obligation. But if we make it our routine to daily, if you will, crawl in the shadow of the Almighty until we're standing before the mercy seat, approaching the throne room boldly before the Lord, knowing that we're covered by the blood. If we can make that daily, then I believe God will begin to reveal to us who he needs to be to us. And number one, he wants to reveal that he's dad, that he's father. That's why Orwood never said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, that he wanted to be acknowledged that way. But there's something that God wants to reveal to us in this moment of healing our hurts, healing our pains, revealing our, his plan, his purpose. But we've got to make sure that we abide, right, in the secret place of the Most High. That's our part. Are, are you all with me today? Let, let, me, let me maybe be a little bit more straightforward. There's a quote, and I think I've shared it before, and I don't mean it's a punch in the face, but I think it, it, it's aggressive, but it, but it proves a point. 
There was a guy named Samuel Chadwick. He made this quote years ago. He said, and I've said it to you before, he said, Brethren, meaning Christians, the crying sin or the biggest sin of the church is her laziness after God. And, and it's this, you know, if we as, a, as God's people, if we could somehow grab a hold of daily, God wants to be with us. Daily. Not just Sundays, but daily. If we could find time in whichever way it works for you, okay, but just make it a priority. Different things work for different people, so I'm not going to put anybody in some box here, okay? But daily you go, okay, did I spend quality time with him? Right? And if we could spend quality time in this position of our heart being open before the Lord, God will blow us away. If we could just make commitment, I'm going to read the Bible daily. I'm going to worship in some form I'm going to worship him, preferably private worship, a singing unto the Lord, and I'm going to pray. Jesus would change your life. Amen? And the reason is, once again, is because he just wants to be close. He still, and I guess maybe, I know I've said this several times, but if you hear anything, hear this. He still just wants to be dad. That's it. He wants to be dad to you. He wants to know that all those things we talked about, once again, it's not, it's not um, what he can do for you, but it's, man, can I crawl up in his lap? Can I lay my head against his chest? And can I hear his heart? My number one prayer is I pray, God, I just want to know your heart. God, can I know your heart? Because I feel like if I can know heart, God's heart good enough, that it's going to change me, and then I'll be of some use to the kingdom. I think it's people who want to go do everything and don't really know his heart cause the greatest damage in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. So let me pray for you. You guys are amazing. You guys can grab a seat. You did great. I really let you off the hook easy today. <laughs> just let me pray for you if you don't mind. If you can, just by uh, just a, I know God knows our hearts, but if you say, I want to have that kind of heart that knows what it's like to come Basically, I just want to be fathered. I want to be covered by the Lord. I want to walk with Him in that intimate way. Just lift both hands and let me pray for you. Yeah. Father, I just thank You for every person that has their hands raised. Father, we thank You. We thank You today, God, as Your sons and Your daughters, for how much You care for us and how much You love us. God, we're so blown away by how... um, Literally, from the beginning, God, you've said, you know, and I'm committed. God, you've been so committed to us. God, committed to cover us, committed to father us. And, Father, we just say to you today, God, we want to give you complete access to father us in a way, God, that you see fit. God, we want your best in our lives. And so, Father, today we just, um, Lord, in such a simple way, God, we want to open the door to our hearts and we want to throw away the key. We want to say, God, you have access and Father, we just pray today, God, that you would, um, that literally every day as we come to